So to continue my series on the parables of Jesus, um, I want to look at two of them in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. They're the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he, had it again, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And one of the things that I find really cool about these two parables is that they work into each other. Jesus is basically telling the same story from two different perspectives. One is a man who finds the treasure in a field. The other is a man who finds, who is seeking a treasure, a specific treasure. And I think this covers those that uh, come to Christ. Basically, the pearl and the treasure are a life living with God. They're both representative of coming into the kingdom of God and accepting Jesus as your Savior and they're both treasures that are important. The treasure overall is having Jesus as your savior. That's the greatest treasure one could ever have. And what he's saying in this is that both of these men, one who was seeking a pearl and one who stumbled upon the treasure, both sold all that they had to buy it. To have it as our own. And a lot of times there's people who are seeking after God specifically. There's some people who have in their mind certain spiritual ideals that they want to find. And they're willing to go to the, the great lengths to find the answer to their spiritual quests. They know outright that they're searching for God. They just want to find who that God is. They want to find that that pearl of great price. They want to find what they're willing to stake their lives on. And this is a, a journey that all of us have to go through in our lives. We have to decide who the what our ultimate reality is. We have to seek God in all places that he can be sought. And there's another aspect to this. The man who found the treasure in the field. Lots of times, we all know that we're searching for something. Otherwise, the man would have never dug in the field to find the treasure. He would have never been looking anywhere in order to find a treasure that was hidden in a field. The fact that it says that he hid the treasure again means that it was hidden the first time. So he had to have been seeking something. And this speaks to some people who are seeking something, they just don't know what it is. There's a stark difference between seeking God because you are looking for God 
And seeking something that transcends yourself without knowing what that thing is. The man that found the treasure in the field is somebody that I relate to more than the other. When I got to a place where I had given up on belief in God, when I had given up on any ideas of religion or anything like that, I stopped looking for a God, but I was still seeking the things that God brings. I was still seeking that peace. I was still seeking that comfort. I was still seeking that love. And I was still seeking that communion with my maker, even though I didn't know that that's what I was looking for. So I was looking around for anything. I didn't have a specific goal in mind. I just wanted something that was going to fill that hole inside of my soul. I wanted to find something that was going to take the place of that emptiness that was inside of me. So when I look at these two stories, it sticks out in my mind that spiritual journey. Because there was a time when just like the man that was looking for the pearl of great price, I was seeking God. I knew in my heart that I was seeking God. But when I thought that all of the ends had run out, when I thought that I had sought as hard as I possibly could, I just started looking for something else, only to find out that that's what I had been seeking all along. And when... One of the things that drew me to uh, Christianity to begin with wasn't even through Christian means. It wasn't through a preacher. It wasn't through a ministry. It wasn't through an outreach. One of the first times that I ever felt like I needed to look in the direction of Jesus, I was actually watching a Bill Maher documentary, which was uh, mocking Christianity, and when he was questioning all these people, making them look stupid, he went to one place that was like a, a like a theme park, like a Christian theme park, and he asked just a random worker there dressed as a centurion some question, and the the guy answered him with thought. He answered him in a way that he didn't look stupid. And basically, Bill Maher stopped asking questions and walked away and with his tail between his legs because he knew that he had been bested. And when I saw that, that was the first time in my life that I had ever seen somebody intelligently defend Christianity. And that was something that I was looking for without realizing that I was looking for it. There came a point where when... I finally realized that all of the things that I was trying to fill that emptiness with just didn't cut it. I knew that there was a place that I had to start. I had to start seeking something outside of myself that all of these things that I tried to fill that hole with would not fill. What I was seeking for in drugs or alcohol or pride, anything that 
I could possibly use to try to make myself feel what I thought that I needed to feel, which ultimately is only accomplished by having a relationship with the God that made me and his son that saved me. This journey had to start somewhere. It had to start with the seeking. And when I started, I didn't know what I was looking for. Then I realized exactly the treasure that I wanted. I realized what it was that I was looking for. I was looking for God. I was looking for uh, meaning. I was looking for a relationship with my maker. And it was little stepping stones along the way. It was little uh, shops, so to speak. If you use the, the analogy of the... Uh, the man looking for the pearl, I'm sure he stopped at a lot of different places. He probably went to different shops, went to different pearl dealers. He probably fished in the ocean to try to find a pearl on his own to no avail. And when I started to see that there was these different places, these different uh, ideas of who God is, of these different ideas of what that pearl consists of, I drew back on that experience where I had found something that I hadn't seen before, which was a true defense of Christianity intellectually. And that in and of itself didn't bring me to God, but it let me know that if I was going to stake my heart in something, my mind would be free to follow, that I could accept it by feeling it and by knowing it, that it wasn't a separation from my mind that would bring me to Christ. It was a unification of my heart and my mind through the Holy Spirit that would inevitably reveal Christ to me. And that's what ended up happening is I got to a place where I started to know that I was seeking that pearl. I started to realize that it was God that I was searching for all along. And even though at the outset I didn't settle on Christianity, that was the only thing that spoke up to me. That was the only thing above all things that I could that I could believe in. I had gone through some tough times. I had been in tough situations. I had tried to fill my life with these things that didn't really even scratch the surface of the emptiness that I had inside. And when I was reaching out in these different places only to become dissatisfied and still seeking, I didn't want to stake my life on Christianity. I didn't want to believe in the God that I was told to believe in all along. I wanted to find my own way. So I looked in different places to no avail. But when I started to give my life to Christ, when I started to look into Christianity again because I had seen it defended before, I found even better arguments. I found even stronger arguments. And with my experience and my study, I found in myself that not only was it most reasonable to believe in Jesus, it was what 
fit with all the evidence that I had. It was the only thing that made sense of the yearning, that made sense of the longing, that made sense of the fulfillment when I finally accepted Jesus. There's only one God that claims to be a savior. And I was in a place where I needed to be saved. I needed to be free. And all of those things are found in Jesus. And in these parables, the two men sought for God in different ways. They looked for the kingdom in different places. But at the end of the day, both of them made the decision to give up everything that they had ever known to own it. Every Christian has to make this decision. Jesus tells us to count the cost before following him. It costs everything that we used to hold dear. Just to kind of uh, look at it, even though it doesn't uh, seem like that big of a deal, even though it doesn't like it doesn't seem like a, like a hard decision, it really is. We have to take into account what Jesus calls us to do, what Jesus asks of us. And C.S. Lewis stated this in a really uh, profound way. He said, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all of your wishes and precautions to Christ. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. That's it. Jesus wants the entirety of our being. He wants everything that we are, everything that we have, and everything that we could ever do in our lives. The interesting thing is that if all things come from God, these already belong to him to begin with. So all we're doing is surrendering our perceived rights of what God has given us. All we're doing is surrendering what's already his to him and stop trying to claim ownership over it ourselves. And accept the gift that Jesus has to give to us, which is above and beyond anything that we could ever wish or ask for. And one of the things that uh, it, it talks about it is in this exchange is uh, in the book of Isaiah in chapter 61, it talks about what it costs to follow the Messiah, what, what the exchange rate is on salvation. And what it says is, uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What this is saying is the things that we are exchanging for this, we look at as our entire world. But really, what we're giving to Jesus is ashes in exchange for beauty. We're giving him mourning in exchange for joy. Despair for a garment of praise. What we're doing is we're exchanging these things that we think are so great, but at the end of the day are just rags. They're nothingness. They're things that will only leave more emptiness inside of us. So when Jesus says to count the cost, to look at it from this perspective seems crazy. Of course, anybody would rather be happy than sad. Anybody would rather have joy than mourning. Anybody would rather have beauty rather than ashes. When it's explained like this, the choice is clear. But when we try to pretend that these things are something that they're not, that's when it starts to get hard. When we look at our sins, when we look at certain aspects of our lives and realize we have to give them up, even though all it is is ashes, all it is is garbage, we fight to give these things to God in exchange for something that will actually fill those voids. And when David is talking about this, he says in Psalm 30, You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I praise you forever. This exchange that we give, our sackcloth, our despair, our sorrow in exchange for wholeness and oneness with our maker is for the sole purpose of glorifying God. And that's what makes it so hard. We know what a great treasure it is to be joyful. When we're in tough times, when uh, we're in situations that are are hard, it's easy to call out to God because we know that he has the joy that we're looking for. They have a saying that there's no atheists in foxholes. When people are in desperate need, it's easy to call out to God because he has, he promises peace, he promises joy, he promises all of these things to us. But what we would rather do is instead of do things for God's glory, we would rather receive the glory for ourselves. A lot of times when we're feeling good, when we're on top of the mountain, it's easy to say, look at where I've brought myself. Even though we can't even take a breath without God's provision. We can't even take a step without God's holding our hands. We can't do anything apart from God. Everything has to be rooted in him. Even uh, the people that were mocking and beating Jesus on the cross, 
were only able to do so because God gave them the strength. He gave them the breath in their lungs. He gave them the positions that they were put in. They couldn't do any of that without God. Even though they were mocking him and beating him, God was the sovereign uh, keeping them in place. He was keeping them alive. And they, I'm sure, thought, look how great I am. Look how good I am. Just like all of us do when we're in situations where we feel like we're in charge or we have power. We all feel like we're that we're great and we're wonderful. But what this is saying is that when we find that the treasure that God can give us, a life in submission to him, is just that, submission. Everybody has to submit to something. Everybody has to give up something in order to accept something else. When you get married, you have to submit to the idea that you cannot be married to anybody else. You cannot be with anybody else. You cannot look at anybody else. Because these things are inherent in marriage. You give up all other people to be with one. We like to look at this differently when we look at God because we think that we can have our cake and eat it too. We think that just having a holy God who's also forgiving means that he's just going to turn the other way and let us do our own thing when that's not what the scripture says. That's not what grace is. And to put that, to put it that way cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. It makes it seem like God is willing to just let go of all the bad things in, in the world and just let just turn a blind eye when in reality what he did is he took all the punishment that he would have placed on us on himself and t and gave us all the glory that he himself would receive he made heaven our homes in exchange for making us his home he made salvation possible for us while putting himself under the penalty of death and it's hard for us to put ourselves in a place where we see God for who he is we see the gift for what it is and also be willing to give up all of these things that are inevitably worthless. We place worth on things that aren't important. And we miss out on what truly is. I remember a time when I was a kid. And this is kind of embarrassing, but one of the kids on the playground, he found a piece of garbage on the ground. It was something that was like, I think it was like a, a car door handle or something. It was, some, it was something worthless. Well, 
I wanted it because they had it. They made it look cool. They were playing with it. They were showing it off like it was something special. So I was willing to give them a dollar for it. And I did. I made the exchange. I gave a dollar for garbage. And it brought me no joy. It wasn't as fun when I was playing with it. And inevitably it went where it belonged in the garbage. And I learned a lesson that day that just because it may look good, just because somebody else is doing it and it may look neat, it may look like it's popular, it may look like it's uh, worth something, it's really worthless. And if I'm going to exchange anything, I want to know that it's something of value, something that's going to increase my situation rather than bring it down lower. Because in exchange for that car handle, for my dollar, I was a dollar cheaper. I was I was a dollar poorer and I had an extra thing to throw away. I gained nothing but more emptiness. And that's what happens when we stake our lives on our sins. When we stake our lives on these lesser pleasures. When we stake our lives on these things that, at the end of the day, once we realize that they're garbage, only leave emptiness. Because we trade a piece of ourselves for these things. When we go into situations, we don't come out the same as we did before we went in. We add baggage, we add weight, we add more to our plate, more emptiness, more brokenness, more scars, more uh, pain. And when we get to this place of us being destitute, we then realize that we have to fill that void, we have to fill that space. And the things that we were chasing before just won't do it. And in doing so, we set out on the journey to find what truly will fill the, that void. And as I found out, the only thing that really truly fills that void is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for these things that... I tried to put my hope into. I'm, sin is horrible. It is deplorable and it is punishable by death at the hands of God. But one thing that it does, that God allows it to do, is it brings us to a place of submission. When we beat ourselves down, one thing that I learned, um, there was a a period of time where I was on a diet and instead of filling myself with nutritious foods, proteins, I was just cutting stuff out. I was just cutting out, uh, carbs and I found myself hungry. I found myself searching for something. Now the obvious answer when you cut out, out carbs is you're missing carbs. So what I did is I started eating a bunch of carbs. That's what I did. I filled my body with 
the sugar and all the things that were not good for me. And at the end of the day, I would find that I was eating a lot, but it was doing nothing for me nutritionally. It wasn't bringing any satisfaction because I was starving only minutes later. I was aching and yearning for something else to fill that that uh, emptiness in my stomach. And I went for the carbs, and I went for the carbs, and I gained weight, but I did not gain satisfaction. So this time in my diet, when I tried again, I now fill that with proteins, things that my body really does need, that it really is searching for, that really do satisfy the hunger inside of me. In the spiritual aspect of this, it's the same way. We may, be, we may think we know what's missing, so we try to find it in these cheap alternatives. We try to find it in these cheap places. Yeah, that donut looks great, but at the end of the day, it's not going to keep me satisfied. It's not going to fill that void where I'm hungry. What it's going to do is it's going to give me just enough, just enough satisfaction, just enough joy to bring me to the next time that I have to eat something like that. It's just going to give me enough to get me through to the next donut. But at the end of the day, I'm just filling my tank, my stomach with stuff that's not going to actually fill it. And on my journey with Christ, I've realized that even though sometimes the cheap alternatives do what they say they will, it's only for a short time. And after you've gone down that road, you realize you are hungrier than when you started. And one of the biggest blessings is that God has used those stumbling blocks as stepping stones. God uses sometimes our bad decisions to bring us to good ones. And just like in the case with the man who found the treasure in the field, that guy didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was looking for. He was just digging around in a field somewhere. It may have been the 15th field that he looked in, but he found a treasure. And one thing that I, I personally believe about God is that not only does he know uh, what we will do, he knows what we could do. He knows that he knows what our will is. He knows what his will is, and he knows what in between we could choose if there's a third option. And I have grossly mischaracterized this idea, but it, there are scholars that put it a lot better than I do, and it's it's something called uh, divine middle knowledge, that God knows what he wants to do, his ultimate purpose. He knows what we will do, whether it's for his purpose or against it, or any variation thereof, and he is able 
to sovereignly place things in our path that'll lead us in the way that we should go because he knows what decisions we'll make on the road to that point. Maybe we are walking in the complete opposite direction. God knows that. God knows we're going to walk in that direction. So maybe he puts a signpost that says, make a U-turn. Maybe he is like a uh, like Google Maps and says, recalculating, okay, make the next left, and so on and so forth. He knows what we're going to listen to, what we're going to do, what we're going to choose, and if we can ever choose, uh, if, if we will follow him in the end. But he gives us the grace and the provision to make that choice as we go along the road. He can put those directions in our path. He could tell us when to turn left, when to turn right. But at the end of the day, it's our decision to make that turn, to turn in that direction. We can disobey him all the way through, and he knows whether we will or not, but he is not going to make the choice for us to go the wrong direction or the right direction. He can only lay it out in our path, and the choice is ours. God in his sovereignty, can place things in the way, place uh, things in our minds where we can go to places, realize that we're not filling ourselves with the right kind of food, and then make a decision to incorporate the right kinds of food. He knows if we're seeking him in this field or that field, whatever it is, he knows where we're going to be looking. It's up to us to decide what to do with the treasure once we found it. It's up to us to decide whether that pearl or that field is worth all that we have. If we start off on this path and we think, okay, I'll give God this, but I'm going to keep that. We're not making the exchange that God had set out in the beginning. If you do this in a business, you are not going to receive what you are trying to pay for. You can't haggle with God. You can't uh, tell him, okay, well, you know, that's pretty steep. I know eternal salvation, that's great and all, but, uh, you know, I just want to hold on to this piece of me. I want to hold on to this sin and maybe it'll let me, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can work out a bargain. It doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. We give God our all. He gives us his. We give God our garbage. He gives us his righteousness. We give him our sin. He gives us his son. That's the choice. That's the cost. And that's one of the hardest decisions that we make for the simple fact that sometimes we grow accustomed to pain. Uh, to quote, not to quote C.S. Lewis, but to, 
to um, reference him again, um, there's one of the stories in the Chronicles of Narnia. He makes this point clear when Aslan is talking to the characters. He says, I'm going to show you what I... You've seen what I can do. I'm going to show you what I can't do. And there are some trolls or something. I, I don't remember what the creatures are, but... They're eating dirt, and Aslan tells them that there is a banquet, like a, a huge feast, just a couple feet away from them, that it's packed with all kinds of great foods, and it's pitch black. They can't see it, but they're eating dirt, and by the end of it, they say... Uh, I don't believe you. I'm perfectly satisfied with eating this dirt. And what you're offering me is probably poison. So I'm just going to keep eating my dirt because I know what this tastes like. I know that this is uh, filling me up. I know that this is what I'm eating. Whereas I don't know what your intentions are with this banquet. And that's what God does. He shows us what he's going to give us. He shows us the feast. But it's up to us whether or not we want to stop eating the dirt and start eating at the Father's table. Even when we can't see the table itself. And... When we look at it that way, when we realize that our sin is nothing but a, a feeble substitute for true nourishment, then it's easy to make the, make the exchange. It's easy to realize when you have looked at your sin, when you've weighed your heart, when you see what it is that you have that you actually have in your hands and how it pales in comparison to what's in God's hands then it's a no-brainer to give up everything that you have in exchange for everything that God has my hands are a lot smaller than his his giving is a lot greater than mine what he has is what I really need not just some knockoff substitute that Satan pretends is worth something. He can dangle that door handle in front of your face all you want, all he wants, and uh, it's still garbage. No matter how tempting it looks, no matter how good it looks, no matter how cool it looks when he's playing with it, just because it's not yours, just because you don't know when we come to that place and we realize that our sin is nothing but garbage, it's easy to place it in God's hands. But sometimes we have to be brought down low. We have to be brought down by our sin in order to realize that it's only leaving us hungrier than when we started. And I want to pray for anybody that's listening to this 
or watching this from wherever you're listening or watching from. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing me to exchange my garbage for your glory. I thank you for allowing me to exchange my sin for your salvation. And I ask that if there's anybody that can hear this that is not that doesn't know you that's still trying to count the cost allow them to know what this exchange entails that what they have will always pale in comparison to what you have that what they are giving you is garbage compared to what you're giving them and i thank you god that you always direct our paths you know how we'll seek you, you know where we'll seek you. And you are seeking us all along. I thank you, God, for everything that you do. And we love you and praise you, and it's in your Holy Son's name. Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.